So welcome everyone to Equanimity Forum. This is episode two, uh, living naturally in an urban lockdown with Tony Riddle. And Tony's a good friend of mine and uh, also fellow explorer of human potential and also finding ways how to thrive in our modern day environment and not just, not just survive. And uh, I have learned a lot from Tony in person and from loads of other educational content that he's putting out quite regularly. And uh, we've taught workshops together. I've been learning quite a lot and, and getting inspired in terms of how I uh, adjust my lifestyle to be more natural. So yeah, Tony, so could you please introduce yourself and what does it mean to, to be the natural lifestylist? Yeah, hi. Um, thanks, Alfred. That's a great intro, by the way. Um, yeah, I'm Tony Riddle, and um, I'm, I'm known as the natural lifestylist. I'm still Tony Riddle, which is like, that's my Instagram handle. Um, what does it mean to be a natural lifestylist? Well, um, I think it started really after the, t the term natural lifestylist came because people weren't quite attuned or understanding what it was I was doing under this labeling of like rewilding, right? rewilding movement, rewilding sleep, rewilding food, rewilding the gut. And um, I was approached by um, a journalist or editor at uh, the Times, but the style magazine of Times. And at that time, she was looking to feature me as one of the six best coaches, right? So my ego is like, yeah, great, one of the six best coaches. Well, how do we start, you know? And um, so anyway, I went to the news building, you know, it's the Shard and it's great setting when you go in and we sat down. And, had a great conversation, but she originally invited me in because she thought I was about, it was about rewilding movement. And then I had to explain that movement was just a, 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 one, it's a facet of a multifaceted physical system, if you can imagine. So I then explained that our physical self is made, our, our physical needs, let's say, we have movement, we then have sleep, we have play. Um, I then bring in digestion, food, how we interact with the sun. Um, sex, all these things. And we start to look at that as a, as a model of what is normalized today in, as in our social template of that. But then by rewilding that, we start to have to look at ways of living that are more in sync with that in nature. How does it look in nature? Use nature as the template. So then when we started to look at movement as being one of those, the facet of that system, you could then see that I could then break it down and I'd say, well, movement, then if we look at movement as a macro element, the same as the physical self being a macro element. If we look at the micro element of that physical self is movement, and let's micro that down from its macro sense. And you could see that we, oh, we, can, we can run, we can jump, we can walk, we can lift, we can carry, we can throw, we can defend. And, and you could suddenly see that, ah, oh, there's, there's that, and then there's dance, right? And then there's the playful sense of all of it, right? How do, how do we view it for a, le a lens of play? And so once she saw that, she was like, oh, okay, I see. Oh, this, is, this is way bigger than I'd imagined. How about we do a whole piece on it? Hmm. So we then end up with three pages in the Style magazine around the natural lifestylist, you know? And so my website went from being Tony Riddle, natural lifestyle coach, to this, the natural lifestylist. And, right. and then it made sense. What are we doing? Oh, we're, we're restyling nature in a way, just making it, just, it just became more tangible, really, I guess. People could actually much, could relate to it. I could, you could understand that, oh, if we're um, looking at our microbiome and we're looking to improve our digestion, 
what's the template? What are we aiming to do? Ah, oh, we're looking to get it back to its, in its essence, its wild state. Ah, oh, that's rewilding the gut then, isn't it? You know, and then we look at, say, barefoot and barefoot running, and we now know lots of barefoot shoe brands. Well, what are we doing there? Oh, we're trying to get the food, foot back to its natural state. Oh, once it was wild, oh, we're rewilding the feet. Oh, we're looking at squatting, mm -hmm. positions. Oh, what are we doing? We're rewilding the squat. So it's just, it just meant through that, that guise of the natural lifestyle, it's like bringing the language of rewilding the squat, rewilding without um, putting people off at the, at the start, at the start point, when they first hear about it. Oh, rewilding. Oh, yeah. I mean, who wants, in, who wants to go and live in a cave? And that was the original response. Yeah. And I think it's partly because the language we were using at the time was adopted kind of from a company we were working with, which was called um, Wild Fitness. And I worked with them for a period of time and, and we pioneered kind of their um, retreat that was on the Isle of Wight. But they had a language of zoo human versus wild human. Right. And firstly, people didn't like the idea of being called a zoo human way back then, right? And I'm not sure they like it now, but way back then. And then they couldn't also, they couldn't also understand what it was to be a wild human, what it meant, you know? So I guess that's basically my rewilding to me means um, looking to the natural beings and natural places of the world to find ways of living that are more in sync with our human biology. So basically normalizing nature, natural norms in our everyday spaces. It doesn't mean giving up on modern life. It just means looking at ancestral ways of living at the cornerstone of well-being and health. You know? And um, that's, that's essentially what it means to be, to, in my perception of my, what I'm doing anyway. You know? So it's just all-encompassing approach to rewilding, I guess. And, and how did you first become aware of rewilding because i know that you have a quite a long history of physical training of coaching people in different modalities and and what was your kind of initial exposure and what pulled you towards rewilding before it became natural lifestyle coaching what was the kind of initial spark to it what was the hook um yeah. we i i basically was um i was a personal trainer and um, I then found Pilates and Pilates, which we, we view Pilates today through a very different lens of, of which it originated, right? So Joseph Pilates, before it was called Pilates, before he died, in other words, at its origins was called a, a discipline called controlology, which was about hmm. um, adopting ways of living that are more in sync with human biology, basically looking at right. how we move. And he was a, a boxer, a gymnast, middleweight professional boxer. Um, there's amazing videos and content of him out in nature, cold immersion, standing out in the snow in just these boxes, um, doing quadrupedal movement in the snow. Just, oh, I mean, I incredible. But, so it's all encompassing kind yeah, of. Yeah, but approach. then we, we diluted it in a way because his, his original practice, if you like, when he fled Austria, he went to um, New York. Right. I imagine he went to Ellis Island first and then ended up in New York. But on, on the boat journey over there, he met his wife, Clara. And in that process, um, she, she had a medical kind of, um, she was a nurse or something. So it just gave him a bit of kudos when he arrived there that he had this medical kind of background. Mm. And then he set up his first practice, which is above the New York City Ballet. And most of the clients then that went to see him were what? Dancers, right? So most of the stuff we see today is like plies and, and tucking and, and positions that really it's about rehabbing a dancer. Is, yeah. But in the origins, I guess, there's so much more content in there. So 
that was the first, that was one trigger when I stumbled across his book, this controlology, Return to Life Through Controlology. It kind of made sense. And then I was working, and then I had a cousin of mine that we were kind of, and another couple of friends, we were all hanging around at the same period of time, interested in similar stuff. And then Nicholas Romanoff jumped on the scene, and he's a track and field coach in the Soviet era, but developed the pose method. And the pose is a specific posture that everyone goes into when they run. And if you get the specific pose or posture right, then you, you basically deal with the forces more appropriate. You have the correct form and therefore the correct function, and you deal with the forces in running um, far more efficiently. So you minimize the risk of injury and you become more efficient, right? Mm. Brilliant, right? So where's the template of that? So we started to see that his model, really, if you looked at natural runners of the world, natural runners, like running tribes, ah, that's what they're doing. Why are they doing it? Why are they different? And then you could start to see Ah, oh, footwear, ah, oh, sedentary sit chair sitting. Not sedentary, because hunter-gatherers, again, live on the ground sedentary, but they're just not sedentary in the chair. Yes. But then I started to apply Nicholas's template into the Pilates studio and plugged it in, and it upset all the Pilates practitioners I was kind of hanging around with at the time and had as my practitioners. I had like six practitioners in there. And to the point where I wasn't really teaching Pilates. Hmm. I was dealing with the cause rather than Pilates was dealing with the symptom. So people would come along, take off their compromising footwear that was narrowing the toe box and with cushioning or a big heel after they've managed to drive into the studio, park their car, come up the escalator, arrive at the studio, take all that off. And then they come in to find mobility, flexibility and strength in the areas that very areas that have been compromised by all that material that got them there on that day. So then after my session of an hour or two hours of this functional kind of symptom relief, they then put the same shoes on that put them in the compromising position, walk to the car, get in the car, sit again, drive home, and then return back to their sedentary chair sitting. So it got to the point where it's like, well, this, is, this, this isn't working, is it? Because I could, I could have an amazing practice of symptom relief, but let's go into the cause again. And so I, I, I wrapped things up and I opened up a gym with two of my, one, a cousin of mine and a friend of mine. And my cousin, he was involved with Wild Fitness at the time and introduced me to Wild Fitness. Um, a woman called Tara Wood who set that up. And Tara, Tara and I had a little bit of a date period where we were dating and then, uh, and anyway, and then I kind of got involved for a bit longer and then we set this thing up on the Isle of Wight. And it was an amazing philosophy of theirs. And again, it was about this idea and this notion of returning zoo humans back to being wild humans. So their retreats initially were in Watamu in Kenya. Beautiful idea, being out in Kenya and you'd go out and stay in Kenya. But they still had the modern template of exercise, right? It was still exercise. It was still like um, Swiss balls and boxing and all this stuff when you had this amazing environment. And then someone we all we know, and you've studied with him, but it was just years ago before it kind of blew up, was Erwan, right? Erwan, of course. Yes. We were hanging around with Erwan, who was the creator, founder of MoveNet. And so we could suddenly see that, ah, there's not just running, barefoot running, there's, ah, there's all these other things that we were aware of. We just hadn't put it together in a system. So then we started to bring other principles on board from that, but then applied Nicholas's pose to it, that even if you're balancing, running, walking, jumping, there's a way that a zoo human would have performed it, but there's a way a natural being would have performed it. Mm. And if you apply Nicholas's, drop Nicholas, Nicholas's philosophy into it, you'd suddenly get closer to the efficiency and the shape that the natural beings would make. So we would 
minimize the coaching process, the length. It could literally just flip people quite quickly. And through that, again, making these human beings, you know, let's not call them zoo humans, into more efficient um, and, and minimizing that risk of injury. So that was kind of the, the, the movement sense of it. And then through wild fitness, again, you could suddenly see that, oh, what are we doing when we, when we have these people? Oh, they're getting their physical and so they're getting their physical and social needs met, not spiritual needs, let's say, but mainly physical, social needs. And then you start to go down the rabbit hole of the physical, social, spiritual needs. And what are they Yes. in this template of, you know, return natural being back to its environment. And you, and you can strip it down. You think, okay, there's a way that we can interact with the sun. There's a way that we can eat. There's a way that, um, that we can sleep. And where do we look for that? Again, it just meant just researching and looking for natural beings and finding the studies that are there instead of the studies really that are made up in the zoo again. Mm. So if I look at sleep, most studies are, are in laboratories. They're in sleep experiments, right? Where it's not a natural environment. You're never going to get a natural outcome. With light, so light and everything, yeah. Yeah, and let's look at the way natural beings are doing. And then when you, when you look at that, you suddenly see that there isn't this obsession around eight hours anymore. Hmm. So it meant for my clients that are maybe entrepreneurs or flying all over the place or just, you know, it might not be me. I sometimes have to work late. I have to be up. So what am I going to be terrified now about the fact I haven't hit, hit my eight hours? Because yeah. I might be prone to um, uh, obesity, inflammation, diabetes, and all these chronic diseases that come from not hitting eight hours. So that that was kind of... For me, it was change, It was changing that. So I, I guess after the seed was in wild fitness, really, wild fitness. and the people we were hanging around with, because we were kind of pioneering at that stage. No one was really coaching barefoot running, or there wasn't any of the information out there around barefoot. And then with Irwan, brought this new flavour in around natural movement. And again, it just meant that it was just it was culturing something. And then some amazing coaches walked into our lives in the gym that then brought more and more just. Mm you know, of just incredible coaching practices on board. And then finally, um, we were way ahead of the game. We realized we were just way ahead of the game, but we're so far ahead of the game that, you know, we were the ones that got shot coming in the door first, you know? So yeah, um, we just didn't survive, you know? Unfortunately, the gym didn't survive. Um, the gym crashed and yeah. I did with it, but you know, that was, that's, that's equally part of the process. Right. Right, right, reinvention. And it's interesting how you said there with Pilates, there was uh, this all-encompassing approach that then got narrowed down and systematized and, and created into some system that can be taught to others. And you kind of discovering from this from a different angle, but looking at the similar, similar, I guess, concepts like Joseph Pilates was looking at, right? And in developing all-encompassing way of looking at human human body. But for yourself personally, when, when you now, because you've been training, I guess, in different modalities, even without Pilates, with weightlifting and, and running and, and also boxing, you mentioned. And now personally for you, what does the training or practice or movement looks, looks like? Do you have a system? Do you have a, a scheduled set or, or sets, and, sets and reps that you do? Do you have a weekly plan? Do you do programming for yourself or you just play with your kids or you just move or how do you approach your own way of training outside of your outside of your runs it's so interesting it's such a common question offer i get this is like my if you if i do a post you know when people joke with me that's like when are you ever going to do a post with your clothes on but um, 
Whenever I do a post about any closing, I get hit by it. Like my messages like goes 99 plus and you never know how many are out there in the plus. And it's, and it's yeah. how do you, what do you do for training? What do you eat? Oh, really? And um, yeah, look, I, 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 again, find ways that are more natural. So what, so is there, are there sets and reps in nature? No. No, you know, so I kind of, I don't, I have a very much, I have a much more playful sense the way I move now. So I, I set things up around the house. We ground it for a start. So we live, we don't have furniture or chairs. We don't even have beds. We have mattress toppers so you can roll mm. them up and move them away. Um, it's quite firm then because it's on the ground. It's just an organic wool mattress topper, which means you're really connected to the ground, which makes you more compliant. So you don't wake up stiff. The more stiff, more compliant a mattress, the stiffer you're going to become. Yes. So on the ground, again, we, yeah, we simply ground live. There's multiple rest positions that we get into. I work on the ground. I'm on the ground now. I have, a, as I say, a pull-up bar in the kitchen. And I just, you know, in the morning I might go there and I might do some, some um, active arches, some hanging. Might do some straight arm strength, some bent arm strength. So if people don't know what straight arm is, straight arm is just straight arm hanging just to want a, a bit of brachiation and scapular health. And then I might move into a bit of bent arm later. Um, I, lo I love a bit of quadrupedal work. So sometimes I'll have a play with the kids and we just mm. have a good old move around, just, you know, just pretending to be like, oh, we're going to we'll be an elephant. We walk around the whole apartment like an elephant. We walk around the whole apartment as a cat. And then, and then you play with different types of cat. Okay, we'll be a robot cat or we'll be a, <laughs> a predator cat. And then you have to bring in amazing movement from your shoulders. And then we, then we can be lizards or frogs or whatever. So there's a whole, it just, it basically just means that it's for a very playful lens. Yes. And what comes out of that is I, I believe is more of a natural outcome again. Whereas I, I feel that with sets and reps, it's very, it's, it's great for aesthetics, but we have to question, you know, we have to question while we're doing it. Mm. You know, are we, are we doing it for the Instagram likes, you know, the aesthetics and the Instagram likes, um, Sometimes, I guess, right? You know, quick pump for the photo, but the rest of it should be, it should just be, a, it should be a movement practice that, again, it ticks the physical need. So I guess if you look, if I look at movement itself, I, I see it very differently to exercise. Exercise is like food in a way, isn't it? Like, oh, here's my wild organic food that's going to basically tick the food digestion box of the physical needs. And here's my processed um, food that's in a carton or in a can, which one's going to match my physical needs? Mm. Oh, this one, right? So if I then look at movement, okay, if I go to a room full of screaming people, bright lights on a spin bike versus, oh, I'll just go out and just have a trot outside in nature, which one's going to fulfill the need? You know, so I, I always, I kind of have a filter like that, whereas I, I look at it, right, is this ticking a biologically normal need or a biologically extreme need? Because if I'm doing it over here, I have to question why I'm doing it. What's, yes. Why am I doing this? Whereas this one, I don't have to question it. It should just be uh, uploading. So I fling things around. I've got kettlebells here that I do some basic lifts with, you know. But again, it's, I'm, not doing, I'm not going in there for reps. I'm, I'm playing yeah. with it. Oh, how, can I how can I play and refine the catch or the lift? So it's still a playful lens. It's, I'm trying to – it's almost like um, – you, you're refining, you're refining, refining, refining what is the human experience. So how do I do that? How do I apply that to movement? Oh, it might be a little tiny little intricacy. Let's play. Let's go down the rabbit hole of that and see how I can explore with that. You know?
Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a tricky one because people want to know exactly what I do, and it's there. There is no exact because every day is completely different. But you know, you'll, see that, you'll see that if I put my stories up in the morning and I do a, a video of my uh, hyperlapse of my movement, it's never the same. It's always no. oh, there's a difference there, there's a difference there because I'm just playing with the experience of it. You know, but the fact is you're still moving consistently, and I guess consistency oh, probably yeah. the most yeah. important factor and, and you said you play with your kids and you move around and also you mentioned your home did you had to make any changes to your home because obviously it's set up for you know for living naturally in some ways but since this uh, obviously lockdowns happened and you had to spend more time at home did you have to make any changes to your environment did you have to bring in something did you have to get rid of something or how did you adjust to the fact that you had to i guess be more at home the only thing i had to change um was the zoo experience so i had to bring more tech in i had to get a webcam all right, right. microphones and lighting and stuff like that because i found myself I'm, I'm now spending more time more screen time than sky time mm. so that that's shifted yes other than that it's the, really the same environment when we moved in it was just deliberately chose a place that had really big rooms mm. because we love the floor space and the floor space means we can just move around and play around and have freedom and then we live like a very minimalist lifestyle. We don't have anything in here. Just, you know, there's no sofas, there's no chairs. It's just a rug this side and a low sitting table and a low sitting desk. And then in the rooms, again, it's like mattress toppers, not mattresses, not beds. So they can just roll up and go away. Um, and then things like pull up bars or gymnastic rings, they're just hanging off things that are already there, already in place. Um, that's the movement side of it. But then, uh, you know, we have plants and we have air purifiers and I've changed the lighting in the house. So the lighting is now circadian lighting rather than standard light, well, LED bulbs. So that means we can block out all the blue and green um, sunrise at sunset kind of lighting down, down the environment, which we, we hope or we're led to believe that will not still enable me to access melatonin, right? Yes. So that's, so that's what's changed. So I guess, but that's always been here. So cleaning up the air, cleaning up the light, cleaning up the space, and also any materials we put in here, we then, anything we have to do, we upgrade it always with something natural. Makes sense. You know, so if, say you were moving even into an apartment you rent and you were looking at, oh, I'm going to paint the bedrooms, you know, go for clay paints or something that's natural again. So you're not inhaling neurotoxins when you're in there. So it's always been... You know, how do I clean up the air? How do I clean up the environment? Mm. Align it more with nature? Because if we use the template, what does a shelter mean in nature? It depends which geographic location you go into, but hopefully you should find that they're of natural materials. They're from the environment. Therefore, it can all be broken down, be eaten up by the environment again, you know? So if, even if you're in bricks and mortar in the middle of a city, you can still use that filter and that lens. You can still bring greenery in. You can still bring natural materials in. Um, cottons, bedding, paints, you know, and move away from something that might be pushing out some horrible neurotoxins. And the bedroom was the big one. Like the bedroom's like one of those environments after. Because you spend a lot of time there. Yeah, you're in there for eight hours, let's say, inhaling, yeah. exhaling the same air quality, right? And, you know, we understand like benzene, xylene, that's a huge neurotoxin you're going to be inhaling from paints and mastics. Hmm. And materials from the mattress, perhaps, like formaldehyde and stuff like that, you know? And were there any tactics that you would normally use 
to take care of yourself and your family. Uh, were there any of them that didn't really work for you during the lockdown when you had to be inside? Was there anything that didn't really work for you of the normal things? Um, yeah, I would say, well, I think recently, I mean, I've posted about it recently and we've chatted about it. I, I had a day where I just felt like I was giving too much, I think, yeah. just holding space because I'm, I'm a large client base and then we have workshops and talks and podcasts and conversations and Instagram lives and suddenly it just all went up and really ramped up and alongside that I'm then holding space I'm married I've got four kids and so what I found was some of my perhaps my morning practices were getting there were saboteurs there in the morning because I was getting this influx of information because I had to answer it immediately so um, it just meant I had to dig deeper into what would be my practices. Mm. And this is where I think it's really helpful for people to understand is that, you know, sometimes we want quick fixes. And I've alluded to this before, like quick fixes are sometimes a distraction from the truth, you know. And we have to stay in a practice for maybe a little longer than we expect or we have to be a much more consistent with it. And so I, I spent like a day, like probably had about six hours of movement going in, you know, six hours of yeah. movement, just keep flowing and moving and lots of amazing food and breath work. And then was jumping in the freezer here that I'd set up. We did, what, I did three ice baths that day, yes. you know? And, and it's just, that highlights sometimes how much you might have to put in. And that was, mm. a, that was even for me, it was a great learning curve. That was like, wow, okay, if I, if I spend a day on this, you know, even, even if I go really under and I'm feeling overwhelmed or really stressed, normally I can access it. I'll just do a round of breath or get out in nature and, and I'm great, you know? Um, whereas this was, uh, this was like, well, that's not working. What do I do? Oh, just, you do more of it, right? You just, yeah. more of the practices that have maybe rescued you. So I guess that there's part of that conversation where after, if, if there's anything that we struggled with, and I, I think with the kids, it's mainly been, we unschool and homeschool them. So yes. that's, that, that hasn't changed. But what's changed is, you know, for those that are now faced with homeschooling or unschooling before their kids go back, this isn't unschooling, homeschooling. It's, this isn't how it is normally, you know, because normally you have a huge network of other families and kids to socially integrate with. Yeah. They're always there. Um, and you'll find all of those on um, social media, you know, you can slot into any homeschooling, unschooling community, and that hmm. hasn't been there. So it means that that's what was missing. And then I think at the beginning of this lockdown, somehow we all thought that we only had an hour outside. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I think that was kind of a mixed message that was coming through. And right. we're so familiar with, we live near the heath, and we're so familiar with being out for hours upon end on the heath, and just immersing in nature that, I guess at the beginning that was tough, you know. It's like, oh wow, okay, we're like an hour outside. You kidding? And you know, oh, really. So you actually, Matt, you had you you did cut down on time you spend in them on a heath. Yeah, like, and it, we've and I felt it, you know. I think there's and then again there's like a culmination of stuff. Then it just accumulates, doesn't it? You get this um, less of less social interaction. Mm. You know, it's, this is great. Platforms like this are great, and, and Instagram's great, and Facebook's great. Well, I guess if you're using it. For the, for the right reasons and for social change, but um, it's not the same. Yeah. Just not the same. I, do you know, I, I, Katerina picked up on it. She just said, 
the other day that, you know, I, suddenly I'm not going to the ponds. You know, I'm not going to Hampstead Ponds in the morning. Yeah. I'm not meeting the guys on a Saturday morning to go to the men's ponds. And she just said, look, your male tribe's been taken away. Right? Mm. So you're going to, you, you know, she picked up on that. It was amazing, right? Intuitively, just, you know, you, your, your male tribe of friends is gone right now. You know? And it's that we, we, I don't think we actually, you know, I don't think we value that enough, you know? Yes. And how else were you managing to find some time for yourself? Because you have a big family, you have a lot of family responsibilities. And how are you managing to find time for yourself at times and, and still take care of your business, your work, coaching, family and all that? Is that, yeah, what's your go-tos usually? Um, well, I, I think firstly, it's, um, I remember this, I listened to this podcast with Jesse Itzler and Rich Roll a long, long time ago. One of the ones that I first discovered, Rich Roll. Yeah. And Jesse Itzler invites David Goggins to go and stay with him. Oh, right. It's like the first intro everyone had to David Goggins. Yes, yes. Was on the show, right? And he's introducing him. And he writes the book. He wrote the book, Living with the Seal. So David Goggins arrives. First of all, David Goggins on this big ultra run, right? It's like a hundred miler. And Jesse Itzler's there. And you could run this one with six people. So six of you could run. You do your distance. You know, you do your bit. The next one runs. The next one runs. Oh, yeah. Complete 100 miles in 24 hours. And David Goggins is there and he looks across and he's got David Goggins just sitting in a chair eating a pack of crackers. And he, Jesse Itzler looks at him and thinks, oh, wow, there's no way that guy's like 200 pounds. He's never going to complete this. And that's the race. He like fractures bones in his feet, gives oh, yeah. kidney failure and stuff like that and still completes it, right? So anyway, he, when he invited um, David Goggins to the house, David Goggins, I think, then approached him and just said, you know, about time and stuff. And it just, it, listening to that kind of made me, understand how to structure a diary differently. So there's 24 hours in your day. Yeah. 24 hours. Let's say you believe the sleep studies and you have to be in your bedroom for eight hours before you resurface. Otherwise you're going to be obese and diabetic or whatever. Um, let's say you need those eight hours and then, and then you have 16 hours. So then you have 16 hours. What are you going to do with 16 hours? So for me, it was like, well, I'm saving my 30 minute commute to Camden. 30 minutes back, that's an hour. So I have an hour for myself. Hmm. If I wake up at the same time every day, which I do, I just make sure I have that, that's my time, that's my hour. And I have an hour every morning that's mine. It's no one else's, it's mine. It's booked in the diary. And it goes in my entrepreneurial diary. I, yeah. I actually have a meeting with myself. Hmm. And then I do the same in the day. I have meetings with myself. So they're times that are punctuated in amongst the chaos that, that what can be you know podcasts insta lives writing a book family kids whatever it is coaching there's still appointments for me and then i have time if you don't make if you don't prioritize your own time everyone else suffers anyway you know yes and also i think the valuable thing i've learned over time is saying no <laughs> you know yeah. Jomo, FOMO versus Jomo, fear of missing out, and then suddenly you get to this point where it's wonderful and you become a Jomo and it's the joy of missing out. You actually sit back and you can say, No, I'm okay because that would be sacrificing my time. Yes. And therefore, you get a diluted version of me, you know? And that no one's going to benefit from that. So if I, if I want to be of service, I have to be able to take time out for myself, you know? That's a and powerful if I, lesson. If I don't honor that, 
then, you know, it can be a tough time. Like the other day, I was saying, you know, it doesn't mean I don't fall off. It's just if I, if I can feel that I'm overwhelmed, I'll, I'll sit back and say, no, it's not. And I had it on Friday and I was just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to coach today. I cancelled six hours of six hours of appointments, just went out of the diary, you know. But I was smart enough to say, oh, okay, I need to sit back and I need, okay, I need to make time now. It takes discipline and the yeah, courage to say no and take time for yourself. That's... Yeah, that's well, it's something the times when you know after because when you're you know it's, it's different going to work right when you have a job it's you know it's yeah that can be tough yeah right? so sorry can't come in today yeah but this is where i think wellness and well-being when we think we understand it in the workplace that's where i think it really ultimately would need to change but it would rely on pure honesty you know yes and responsibility in that same conversation you know it's amazing and um yeah that's a powerful lesson for me as well through the, through the years learning that and that's because obviously you are your own uh product that's what you deliver you deliver your own skills and knowledge and you can help that with that other people and that's that's what you need to do that's that's awesome and um thank you for sharing that and also you had um, quite a few adventures coming up this summer and this autumn right and with runs can yeah. you tell more about those what's what's happening with those now yeah, well, um, last year I ran Lands End, Jolly Groats. Um, There's the whole length of the UK. September 1st. So that's the southern to the northern point of UK. Most southern tip to the most northern point. Um, barefoot, and I did that in 30 days. That was the kind of, right, we're going to go and run the whole of the UK barefoot. And I want to do 30 miles a day consecutively for 30 days. And there were things that happened along the route um, from churning away at the same um, surface that's linear yeah. that's tarmac and the only real change with that is it just gets more gnarly and it felt more gnarly than more northern i went you know mm. and so you start to te- kind of eat away at the feet somewhat you know our running pads that we may have had at one point mine mine which i thought were almost like jelly and thick enough to cope started to wear away and then by day 26 i picked up an injury on that one and mm. had an upper ankle sprain couldn't stand even on my foot, but then used all the modalities that we're talking about, like the breath and cold and mobility and sleep and good nutrition and a lot of love and cuddles from Katerina and the kids. And then suddenly I could wake up the next day and go and run twice the distance for the last three days, right? So it's, um, yeah, I, it's a, it's a coming off the back of that. I was like, right, my next, the next one, what's, what am I going to do for the next one? I was, and I've got this bigger picture of where I want to go with it. We're building a documentary and each run will be a documentary until we get to this bigger picture. I can't, I can't, I can't give you any more than that on that one yet. Um, but the idea was I, I was turning 45, just turned 45, May 15th. So I thought it'd be really nice to finish my fifth, my fifth, my 45th birthday, my 15th birthday. It'd be nice to finish that one. <laughs> my 45th birthday on the 15th of May at the top of Ben Nevis. Mm. So I looked at the th- three peaks and the three peaks is basically um, Snowdon, Snowdonia, Scarfield Pike, and Ben Nevis. And normally that would, would, would mean that you have 24 hours to complete it. And you start um, at one peak and you finish at the final peak. And, they, and you're, you drive between each peak. Mm. There's tours that do it as well. And you have this 24 hours to accomplish it. The mileage altogether is like 485 miles. 
So I thought, well, why don't I start on the 6th of May and three peaks, I really like the idea of three and nine. Yes. Um, you know, so um, it's quite, there's transformation in that. So I thought, right, okay, I'll do nine days. Before I even knew that would be a world record, I thought, right, I'm gonna do it in nine days. Yes. And I'll run between the peaks rather than drive. So I'm gonna go the first peak, mountain, then run to the next one, go over that one, run to the next one. And we'll film it and make a documentary. So mm. that was ready to start on May 6th, but lockdown occurred in March. That was no longer appropriate really to go out there and do it. We wanted to create a big picture and get a community behind it and an audience behind it because we're raising um, funds and awareness for rewilding Britain. And, and so we postponed it. So that's now happening in September. Right. Um, and the concept is I'm going to do the road work in Vivo Barefoot because of the experience and the tarmac and it's yeah. raw, you know. But then on the peaks, I'm going to return back to being natural. So it's like the unnatural surface being tarmac, I'm going to wear Vivo Barefoot, which would allow my feet to behave like natural feet, but give me a three mil bit of protection. And then I'm going to take those off and then I'm going to run the peaks barefoot. So that's the natural habitat. Should be able to do that, right? Um, so that's now postponed until September. In the meantime, I thought, well, I, I, you know, what, what can we be doing? You know, I've got this training plans have been in place. I've got the mileage in my legs. You know, there's bound to have been like hundreds of well, thousands of people out there really that have signed up for London Marathon. That's postponed to October. So people have been in training, you know, yeah. what can we give them? So I've thought about this lockdown leg. So the lockdown leg is a 100 mile, um, almost like 100 mile relay. Um, going back to the Jesse Itzler conversation earlier, yes. so it's 100 miles, but it's a virtual relay. Um, you can enter it with six, any, up to six people and you run a segment of it. The next one runs a segment until you've completed 100 miles in 24 hours. So it's virtual. You record on Strava and then send your details in. That goes into a central system that we've developed with that. And then, um, and, and, and then you put your own charity in. So you pay an entry fee let's say 20 pounds, and then you put your own charity forward. So I'm choosing a charity, another team will choose a charity. And then rather than the winning team get the charity pot of money at the end of it, um, we thought it'd be much more fair to do a draw. So we're gonna draw the winner at the end of it. Oh, cool. Um, otherwise we could have amazing endurance athletes enter that one, right? Yeah. There's many people from that. And also the mileage can, like the six, thinking that you're running 16.6 miles hmm. of 100 miles, like you're one sixth, but you don't have to do it in one hit. You could do, you could do it in four, you know, just knowing that you just go around again at the end, the next time, the next time, the next time. That's a great initiative. That's, that's great. So that's we've launched that. That's kind of the, in the interim. Mm, so that's before, happening um, before September comes. Yeah. Where people can find more about that? Where can they? Um, www.thelockdownleg.com. Lockdown leg. Awesome. Yeah. Bit BJJ in there for you. The <laughs> um, and that's all the details there. Or just go to my Instagram again at the natural lifestyle. So it's in there. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so that's going to be in the show notes as well, so people can follow up. And we have also questions from people who are watching this live and joining us live. So those of you who are listening in, you can drop in your questions into Q&A section of the Zoom. Uh, 
So Daniel asks, uh, Tony, do you have the same playful philosophy to food and diet? I almost, almost, yeah. I, 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 we do play with food. We do have that, so we're not strict with it. But I also find that, you know, I have my own natural filter for play. Like after you all have your own natural filter for play, and Daniel will, and what movements you feel at any one moment. So it's not like strict. And I found with food that I had to get to a point where it felt like um, I wanted to get to a playful state, like an animal playful state, that mm. I could self-medicate with food. But suddenly I go, ah, oh, I feel like that. And, it's, and that's a tough, tough process because you have to, um, with that, you have to, um, you have to rewild again. You have to go and fast and you have to get the, I guess, the pacifiers that we might class as self-medicating with food, mm. the sugars and the things like that have to go out. Um, I think where Daniel, what I really played with more than anything has been digestion though. So, um, you know, I've one of my good friends, Jasmine Hemsley, she kind of, she said to me a while back that, you know, it doesn't, you and I could have like Daniel, for instance, you could have a really amazing, um, diet, amazing nutritional profile and I could have a terrible one yeah I have an amazing digestive system and you have a stressed organism with a poor digestive system who's going to benefit and you'll benefit better by having a much better supportive digestive system so it was always for me it was about rewilding the gut mainly and getting the microbiome um, where it needed to be and then working with breath and down regulating practices for food and also honoring the food. So I have like more of a gratitude practice when it comes to eating than mm. anything else. So I'll stop for a moment in my own head, you know, thanking the plants, the rocks, the animals, and Mother Earth, right? That's kind of that's where that will come from. Um, and then the playful sense of it, yeah, I think you have to aliven your senses. So if you use nature as the template, then you see that natural beings of the world are having a full experience with food, aren't they? They're always, their senses are coming alive. And if you've ever done any uh, mindfulness practice, the, the, the practice with a raisin, have you heard that one after? Yes, yes. So so Daniel, they put a raisin in your hand and you keep the raisin in your hand and keep looking at it, you keep massaging it and roll it around in your hand and you smell the raisin, you pick it up and you, like, you, know, you focus in on it and you, and you touch your lip with it and you spend, like, it could be an hour practice. And then what you find is just, you're salivating because, of course, you've just awakened your senses towards what is the, the raisin, right? And so we have to, I guess for me, it's about also just keeping the senses alive and understanding that if I really want to absorb something, I, I have to play with it, right? You have to play with food and you have to play with breath and you have to try to downregulate at least and get to a more calm state rather than, you know, having a playful mind, but smashing something in without any thought or identification. You know? Yeah. That's so important. And also in our, in our lives when we're constantly on the go and it's so easy just to quickly grab a bite while you're answering your emails or you're on the social media. So this is a really, really good point. And uh, yeah, so thank you for sharing. There's another question from Kevin. Hey, Tony, why do you think we view ourselves as separate from nature when we come from it? Very good question. Um, it's quite a deep one there. Um, well, we, we are nature for a start, aren't we? We don't come from it. We actually are nature, but we need to reconnect to that in a way. I think 
what we've inherited is a certain template, haven't we? Where we're kind of handed all this stuff from a very early age, materialistic stuff, which I think the moment you're handed something, which then you create an attachment to it, you're already removed from what would be it would be to be natural. Um, it would take some unraveling, you know, I think a number of generations to get to a point where we could think we are nature again, fully understand it. Because again, a friend of mine, Bruce Parry, you know, he's staying with um, this tribe called the Benjeli tribe. And he just said, they, they, they are nature. Like some of the pygmy tribes, they are nature. They don't see themselves as separately. So it's such mm. a deep understanding of that's what they are, um, that they don't wear a mask, you know? A mask for this, a mask for that, a mask for that. They're just literally being. Bruce has done a lot of work, right? A lot of deep work. And he just said, sitting with them, and he thought he's like spiritually connected, you know, not, not, I don't mean not Dalai Lama or anything, but he thought he was kind of really connected. I am nature kind of conversation, but just felt like an awkward Englishman, you know, that disconnected. So I think, you know, we are innately wild and connected and empowered beings, no doubt but it's the language and the inherited templates that we consume, right? So it largely would start, Kevin, with the tribe of influence, I call it. So whatever tribe you're born into, you know, your first seven years, let's say, or the last trimester even, and those years, are the tapes or templates you inherit that play out for the rest of your life. So it's within your tribe of influence will be why you are separate from nature, you know? And there's the ego within that that's wrapped up within it, but that will be again inherited because of the very languages and behaviors you've observed. And what I mean by that is there's um, Peter Gray, which is the author of uh, this great book. It's called Free to Learn. Amazing. Mm. Um, he, it's an unschooling kind of homeschooling book. It's kind of, we, we really recommend that anyway. So that's um, why unleashing the instinct to play will make our children happier more self-reliant and better students for life, right? So he asked 10 leading anthropologists, what does play look like? What does childhood look like in nature? Um, and they just said, well, firstly, they're the most um, well-rounded individuals they'd ever met. Well-behaved, most well-rounded well individuals they'd ever met. These are beings in nature again, mm. and not separate to it, they actually are nature. Um, and so what do they do? How do they, what do they do all day? And he, they just said they play, they don't do anything but play. They basically observe their adult behavior within the tribe and they play at being that. They play at being nature, they play at being the plants, the rocks and the animals. They don't play with cars, they don't play with aeroplanes or kitchens or whatever else paraphernalia we give kids from the moment they're born. They play with nature, so they are still nature. They play at being it, which I guess is the closest we could get to understanding what real that context of one consciousness would be, because they have compassion, empathy for everything within that environment. They played at it, but they also learn everything they need to learn about their adult environment, so that when they turn 16, they go into the adult tribe as adults. They're already primed for it. They can already make fire, track animals, build shelters, track find what they need to within their environment, hunt and gather within the environment because they played at being it. So then we can say, well, if that's the case, what did we learn in our first 16 years that have invited us into adulthood? And then we get a very clear understanding of why we're not seeing ourselves as nature. 
you know? Like I could stand in it, well, I could have stood in a Starbucks queue, for instance, and see kids in the queue typing, swiping, and ordering a, a whatever the kiddie frappuccino is, right? Now, are they actually, would they actually be doing that had it not been for the observed behavior of the adult? No. So that's why I guess we're disconnected. And so why is it important to reboot, reconnect, rewild and refine your behaviors? Because every child is observing us as the adult species. That's what they're playing out of being. Therefore, we have to be more better examples of human beings and try and find ways that we can reconnect to the fact we are nature. Long-winded there, Kevin, but um, you know, that's my perception of it. That's just my own observation and perception of that, why we're disconnected. That's awesome. That's that's really good answer. Thank you for sharing. And uh, yeah, that's powerful. That's a powerful thing to realize for ourselves. One more question uh, from Sean, S-I-A-N. Not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. Might be Sean. Sean. Uh, what resource would you recommend for unschooling, homeschooling? Um, free to learn is great. Um, Montessori is also some great work right. from Montessori because Maria Montessori's work. There's a great um, one of hers called Absorbent Mind, and I I, I love even the, the 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 thinking of Absorbent Mind. So mm -hmm. it's like right now Arthur might be really interested in. Um, what I say is breath work, right? Let's say you're really interested in breath. No, let's say sleep, right? Okay, I'm really interested in sleep now. Because you're really interested in it, you're, you're heightened, aren't you, right? Which means, which is Maria Montessori's version of this absorbent mind. You could call it flow state, if you like, right? Yes. And suddenly everything just is tuned to learning that particular thing, so you absorb it very quickly. Then the moment you're done, you're done, you move on. And so that's, that's great. It's great to understand that, especially when you're parenting, because you can see with the kids in a class environment, for instance, we're not all in flow and we're not all being absorbent yet we have to recite and understand the same material over and over again to pass exams so are we learning or are we just reciting facts and i think what we see through that is that i think the studies show that we're like we retain like five percent of our education so if you think of the kids in nature from infancy through to the age of 16 what they've learned is to be an adult right and they've learned the appropriate behaviors and to be, and to be nature, what we're doing is 16 years of education to retain 5%. It's probably yes. the most inefficient way of learning. And I, I personally, if that was a business, would you have kept that business going? I mean, other than the financial reasons for keeping it going, the profit? Because actually, if you look at the output, it's not that great if, you're, if you're, all your employees were only going away with 5%, right? Yes. So um, yeah, free to, free to learn Peter Gray. Look at Peter Gray, Peter Gray's world's amazing. Um, also, um, there's a great, um, um, there's a great um, system which is called positive discipline. So positive discipline then it helps with that language. You know what I'm saying? There's language and there's observations from our tribe and there's templates that we inherit. And the language that you can bring in with positive discipline is just profound because it's not punishment, it's not reward. It's about basically communication again and allowing your kids to communicate their needs and you get a very good understanding of where they are. Um, and then we can take unschooling all the way down into even Bo's age, like Bo or Tallulah's age. And Bo is, um, what is seven months now, right, Bo? 
And so we use, uh, so anyway, it's elimination communication. So it's basically um, the moment your child's born, you basically just create such a bond with them. You don't put them down because you wouldn't put yeah. a baby down in nature, right? They don't get put on the ground because it's just not the appropriate behavior. And you wouldn't put them in another tent over there somewhere and leave them to sleep on their own, right? So you, yeah. go, you spend all your time with the child. So the child gets his physical, social, spiritual needs met, which creates emotional well-being, let's say. And when it comes to needing the toilet, suddenly you pick up on signals. So Bo is seven months, right? Yesterday, seven months. But this already started happening five months, right? When he wakes up in the morning, we know he needs a wee already. So we take him to the toilet and he has a pee in the toilet at five mm. months, right? Isn't that profound? And it's like, so if you think of what, what we could be doing, which is the dumbing down or, or compromising a child by keeping them in nappies for three years, right? It can be three years. I know some people four years, right? So you basically educate a child to go to the toilet in a nappy, to dumb down their senses, pee and poo in their, in their pants, basically, for four years. And then at the end of that, you're going to go, actually, what you're doing is wrong. You need to do this. And then you already break down the trust with the child and the parent, right? Yeah. But with, with this process, you, you, you basically, you help the child understand that you're listening. And what happens is that signal they give you becomes more and more refined over time. So first of all, it's Katerina that could understand it and hear it and see it. And then the more she picked up on it, the stronger his signal got because he realized we were listening. Yes. Now everyone sees the signal and hears the signal. We all know when he needs to go to the toilet, right? As a seven-month-old baby. So you feel like everyone in the family can pick up on it right now as well? Yeah, like if he needs a poo, he even tells us. He'll he sit there and go... Oh, really? Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. really. You know, that seemed, that's profound, right? And that's what I'm saying. There's innate abilities that we... Unfortunately, the zoo that we live in, we basically we lived for convenience, right? Yes, and it would be far too inconvenient for people to begin with to go through that process. But it's far more convenient over time, see? You know? But there's no quick fix. You have to stay in it and you have to be consistent in the practice again. Like anything else we talk about, it's about that same thing. There's no real quick fix to it. And that's know? amazing. That's pretty much how, you know, as, as we started the conversation going from having this overview. So it's not just about movements, not just about how you move in a gym or in a space, but how you move everywhere, how you sleep, how you eat, how you interact with your family. That's a very powerful view. Always yeah. use nature as the filter. Yes. If it served us for how long, you know, compared to what we're talking about now, you know, even if you looked at yoga and you looked at, you know, martial arts and things that might be five, 10,000 years old, they're still mere babies on the evolutionary clock, right? So I, yeah, I think we have to turn to nature to get the real template of what it is to be a natural being, what it is beneath us. How do we be more human? You know, I and mean, I think we, we find moments of it, don't we, Arthur, in breath and meditation, that sense of being, you know, in that moment, we find it. We had a big walk, Katerina and I, yesterday on the heath, and it was like incredible. Again, just lost in the heath, just on trails, with mm. the kids, allowing the kids to lead, suddenly trying, trying to kind of unravel and rewild ourselves back to being their age and just playing at being there, you know, just like really looking at things with a beginner's mind. And it's quite profound, you know, suddenly what you see and how you experience and feel again, you know, your senses kind of come alive again just by that, you know. That's a powerful, that's a powerful lesson for us. And um, where can listeners find more about you and learn from you? 
Um, you can find me on the usual channels like Instagram, at The Natural Lifestylist, Facebook, um, yeah, Twitter, at Feed the Human on at Feed the Human. And then my website, www.tonyriddle.com. And then within that, there's tutorials and stuff like that. So um, all the workshops, retreats, Tony's finds, which might be brands I'm collabing with or anything mm. like that. That's all on there. It's worth having a little look, just an investigation, have a little play with the website and see what you find. Um, there's some little nuggets on there, a few quotes. And there's podcasts and stuff that I've guested on or that I've been hosting that are on there too. Yeah, there's other stuff on there. Um, yeah, great stuff, man. Amazing. Thank you. And uh, thank you for your time and sharing your knowledge. That was awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you. And thank you for thank you listeners. For me on, man. Sorry? Thanks for inviting me on, man. That's great. It's awesome to have you. And it's awesome thank to you. catch you for an hour and just pick your brains. You know, that's my selfish interest in this. <laughs> yeah, but it's always interesting, isn't it? We, we kind of have those moments when we might jump on a call just before a workshop or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's nice to actually just yeah. sit down. Squat yeah. down. Cool. Exactly, Squatter said. Thank you, Tony, and um, thank you guys for listening.